Tonight, we discuss whether the free market has failed free speech. I'm Roaming Millennial, and you're watching Uncensored. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Today we're going to be talking about social media, free speech, and censorship. Things we've talked about on here many times before. Now for quite a while, big tech giants like Facebook, Twitter, and Google have been under fire for failing to consistently enforce their terms of service agreements with their users. Honestly, it feels like we've covered at least a hundred stories like this before. But among the people, mainly on the right, who have been booted from Twitter are people like Gavin McInnes, Alex Jones, Sargon of Akkad, and of course the OG social media media dissident Milo Yiannopoulos. And not only were those bans strange considering that none of those people had done anything outrageous on the platform, but it seems especially hypocritical to censor mainstream conservative or heck even center-left but anti-progressive figures when the likes of Farrakhan and Sarah Jong are still going strong on the same platform, as are a plethora of verified lefty Twitter journalists whose full-time job it is apparently to spew anti-white rhetoric. Seriously, if you guys want to see a double standard at play, search for verified hate on Google and you'll see that Twitter's terms of service are pretty lenient when it comes to hate speech directed at white people, or even death threats, as long as they're directed at conservatives. Facebook, similarly, has been accused of being a little too quick to lock the accounts of those on the right. And when it comes to Google's YouTube, many content creators, myself included, trust me, have found that although certain topics as a whole are just out of the question when it comes to monetization, doesn't matter who you are, they're just too controversial, fair enough, it does kind of seem like you're even more likely to be age-restricted, demonetized, or have your videos just not show up in people's subscription feeds if you go against a certain ideological viewpoint. And actually, PragerU specifically has had such a problem with YouTube restricting their videos, which are pretty mild and moderate if you ask me, that they've taken Google to court twice over it. And perhaps even more insidious than any of that stuff, the bans and the restrictions, there's also been allegations, and yes, proof, that when it comes to specific news stories or media outlets, content has actually been shadow banned or hidden with the algorithm and kept off the trending page because it conflicts with the progressive views of the people in charge. This is, in my opinion, the most concerning aspect of big tech's domination. We have unelected and unaccountable ideologues literally controlling what information, what news we do and don't see. And now before we go any further, I do want to clarify something that I know is going to come up, and it's that no, since these social media companies are not the government, it is of course true that they have no legal obligation to follow the First Amendment, that is, to protect freedom of speech. The Constitution was written to delineate government powers, and as private companies, the amendments just don't apply to organizations like Google and Facebook. I understand that. But let's talk about the concept of free speech and the idea of censorship, because free speech is an Enlightenment ideal that's been around longer than the Constitution, and it exists as a principle outside of the First Amendment. Sure, again, social media companies have no legal obligation to facilitate the free exchange of ideas, but as platforms with millions of users, do they have a moral one? And yes, the First Amendment doesn't prevent them from censoring things they don't like, they can technically go forward if they want to, but just because they can do it doesn't mean that they should. And doesn't mean that we, their users, need to support them even though they continue to show contempt for any viewpoint outside of the progressive left. That's what I think this whole social media conversation needs to focus on. And what's been interesting about watching this whole saga of social media censorship unfold over the past few months and even years, frankly, is that as things have gotten worse for conservatives, the politically incorrect and just 
any non-progressive in general online, we've actually seen people who usually hate government intervention begin to advocate for government intervention in this situation. And similarly, people on the far left who, I think it's pretty safe to say, usually aren't the biggest fans of the free market, have argued that, hey, they're private companies, you can't tell them what to do. I mean, this may be one of the only times ever that the progressive left has sided with the libertarians when it comes to the deregulation of private companies. It's pretty incredible. And it is a valid point. I mean, if people don't like how social media companies are trading them, then why don't they just start their own? Well, enter Gab. Gab is a social media platform that was created by founder and CEO Andrew Torba in 2016 due to what Torba says he saw as mass censorship on social media platforms. He created Gab to uphold the value of free speech, and the platform has very little user oversight and very relaxed terms of service, especially when compared to its most direct competitor, Twitter. So finally, we have a libertarian solution to the social media platform problem. The free market at work Thank you very much. Well, sadly, Google booted Gab from its Play Store in 2017, and Gab did file a lawsuit against Google, but they later dropped it. And Gab was also then rejected from the Apple Store. And for those of us who use social media, we probably know that most of it is done on mobile devices these days. So being unable to have access to the stores of the two largest phone operating systems, well, that was a pretty huge hit to Gab's viability. But nonetheless, Gab carried on. Until, of course, the recent Pittsburgh synagogue shooting, that is. You see, the disgusting perpetrator of the shooting actually had an account on Gab which he used to post, as you can probably imagine, anti-Semitic remarks. His bio on the site read that Jews were the children of Satan, and in fact, his last post on the site before the shooting read that, quote, HAIS, that is the Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society, likes to bring invaders in that kill our people. I can't sit by and watch my people get slaughtered. Screw your optics, I'm going in. I think essentially all of us can agree that those are honest-to-goodness deplorable remarks. And although most shooters and more generally killers in recent years have all pretty much had social media accounts, either on Twitter, Facebook, or YouTube, where they posted what was clearly disturbing material, we didn't really think before to try and implicate those social media platforms themselves as complicit in literal murder and hate crimes. Because why would we, right? I mean, sure, we can talk about maybe ways to improve the ability of users to report concerning posts and actual violent threats to the proper authorities, but that's still a far cry away from saying that these platforms themselves are responsible for fostering criminals. No? Nope. Not the case for Gab. According to an article on CNET, Worried by Bauer's hate posts, GoDaddy pulled its web hosting services from Gab, leaving its content unfindable on the web. Meanwhile, PayPal, Stripe, Joyant, Shopify, and Medium also severed ties with the site, which calls itself a defender of free speech and individual liberty, cutting off transaction processing and other services needed for the functioning of a modern website. So as of right now, Gab services have been essentially frozen. But this hasn't slowed Andrew Torba's determination to have a platform that supports freedom of speech, though, since he released a statement saying, Gab has spent the past 48 hours proudly working with the DOJ and FBI to bring justice to an alleged terrorist. Because of the data we provided, they now have plenty of evidence for their case. In the midst of this, Gab has been no platform by essential internet infrastructure providers at every level. We are the most censored, smeared, and no platform startup in history, which means we are a threat to the media and to the Silicon Valley oligarchy. Gab isn't going anywhere. To be fair, and I don't think I can address the issue of linking Gab to anti-Semitism without mentioning this, there are some things that the owner of Gab himself has said on the site's official Twitter page that I think it's safe to say, frankly, 
are anti-Semitic. And these aren't things that other users have simply said on their platform, which I don't think companies should be responsible for, but these are things that Gab itself, as a brand, have put forward. These tweets include things like, quote, Dude named Krasenstein doesn't support free speech. Imagine my shock. Maybe you should move to Israel or something. In America, we have this thing called the First Amendment. And in response to a tweet that read there's no such thing as anti-Semitism, only Jewish fragility, the official Gab account responded, please be careful with this type of wrong think on Twitter.com. But wait, there's more. In response to a tweet by Ed Krasenstein, the official Gab Twitter account replied, another Krasenstein trying to silence free speech? Paying attention yet? And they also posted Revelation 3.9, a verse from the Bible reading, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. I think it's pretty clear how those tweets read, but ultimately, even though I choose to not support Gap myself, I think it's fair to question whether they as a site and app deserve to be completely deplatformed. And to the people saying, if you don't like Twitter's policies, just start your own company, if nothing else, the tale of Gap has shown us that maybe it isn't that simple. But it does leave us wondering what to do now, because I think it's pretty clear by this point, and if it's not, you haven't been paying attention, that we do need to do something. Free speech, the marketplace of ideas, is under attack. And again, I don't mean the First Amendment, i.e. what's permissible by government to be said. I mean free speech, the concept. The idea that we should be able to speak our minds, that's what's in danger here. You can argue that we don't have the right to the amplification of our ideas via certain social media platforms, okay. But then what do we do when big tech is now not just attacking certain voices, but also the alternate platforms who would host those voices? Make no mistake, there is a battle going on here to stifle criticism of the far left wherever it takes place. You see, yeah, the people in charge at Silicon Valley don't want certain ideas spread on their platforms, sure. But the thing is, they also don't want those ideas spread on any other platforms either, and they're willing to use their substantial power to do whatever it takes to stop those ideas from getting out there. It's almost as if their goal is just to snuff out those ideas entirely from anywhere. And you know what the weird thing is? I'm not actually talking about the violent anti-Semitism that people are using to scapegoat Gab. No, as awful as that stuff is, I think the leftists in Silicon Valley view the real threat to their ideology as just mainstream conservatism, or heck, even centrism, anything that's not neo-progressivism. You see, it's easy to go after outlets like Infowars or people like Alex Jones, who you can brand as extremists, conspiracy theorists. Same thing with shutting down Gab. If you can brand it as this place where Nazis hang out, not many people are going to come to their defense. But that's just how it starts. And I do believe that right now, these platforms are testing to see what users will accept. Sure, they'll start with the Alex Joneses of the world, but Next, maybe it's the PragerUs and the Steven Crowders who'll get the boot. Personally, I don't want to wait to that point to find out. And if you think the issue is being overhyped, and if you're someone who says, eh, if you don't like it, just log off, understand that I'm really not that concerned over the experience of the individual user here. I mean, sure, if you don't want to use social media, then don't. That's actually probably way healthier for you. Do your thing. And seriously, please, consider this. 
What happens to our society when all the media that people consume is filtered by the whims of a handful of companies? A recent Pew study found that across Western Europe, 73% of adults aged 18 to 29 got news daily online. So what happens to elections when all the information that people get about candidates is subject to what people like Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg think we should know about them? The answer is nothing good and nothing resembling either free speech or free markets. So if you care about those things, you really should be paying attention. So let's talk about solutions. And I'm actually not sure what the best thing to be done is in this situation, but I do want to at least highlight some suggestions that people have brought up so we can maybe start a dialogue about this. And if you're watching or listening to this episode, I want to hear you weigh in. Some people have suggested that we need, for lack of a better term, an internet bill of rights, a list of consumer protections for those who browse online. Measures that have been suggested include things like letting people know when you're collecting their data, Facebook, Google, talking to you, and it's also been suggested that users should be able to opt out of data collection. But regarding censorship specifically, it's been suggested by one advocate, Monica Eaton Cardone, that an internet bill of rights should include things like, quote, fair play on social media platforms and or internet providers, in that social media platforms and internet providers must be transparent with their rules and regulations. Censoring political opinions and or political content must not be done arbitrarily or capriciously. Whenever possible, political content generated and promoted by foreign countries should be labeled as such. Now that's one of the most widely supported forms of regulating big tech companies from those who are concerned about this, and a similar proposition has also been to designate certain platforms and perhaps even the internet itself as a public utility, much like water or electricity, so companies wouldn't be able to refuse service to individuals or organizations. This wouldn't make internet usage a right, really, because you'd still have to pay for it, you wouldn't be guaranteed it, but it would mean that political whims wouldn't be able to determine who can and can't use it as a service. Of course, though, like any solution, there are potential problems that would come as a result of that. Specifically, we would need to start, like, a bureau of the internet or something like it created to conduct oversight. But seriously, guys, realistically, every single business that deals with consumers or clients or users or whatever it is, especially on a large scale, is subject to at least some sort of regulation in the developed world. So it's actually kind of shocking and honestly, I think a result of effective lobbying that people on the right or on the left haven't brought up the idea of regulating big tech sooner. And another suggestion that's been proposed by people like Ben Shapiro is forcing social media companies to decide whether they're platforms or publishers. Because right now, companies like Facebook are acting like platforms in that they don't want to be affiliated or take responsibility for what their users say, which is fair enough. But at the same time, they're simultaneously acting like publishers in deciding who can and cannot use their platforms with what seems like pretty arbitrary distinctions. Now, I'm not sure exactly of how we would force these tech companies to choose between these two things. Maybe this could be done with civil suits, maybe even a class action suit of people who were denied service on the platform who hadn't violated the terms of service. I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. I don't even know if that would be possible, but there's a chance that threatening big tech in their pocketbooks might be enough to force them to change their behavior. But personally, the route that I lean most towards is using existing antitrust laws to break up these big tech monopolies. That's right, when it comes to cartels, collusion, oligopolies, the American government has already ruled that that's a threat to the free market and to competition. Those practices, which I absolutely believe big tech is already engaged in, are prohibited, as it is, so why not enforce laws that are already on the books? And I know there will be people saying, eh, but tech isn't a monopoly, start your own company, but... 
again, look at Gab, and more seriously, monopolies aren't determined legally by whether or not it's technically possible for a competitor to exist. They're determined by market share. And companies like Facebook and especially Google absolutely have a monopoly when it comes to market share. But that's it for this little rundown of the tech issue, at least how it seems from my perspective. And I want to see us all involved in this debate of whether something needs to be done, and if so, what? Out of all the things I mentioned, are any of them something that you would support, and if not, why not? Thank you so much for watching, and I'll see you next time.